is yours. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to go to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. I, I'm going to teach tonight. Is that okay? And again, if you're bored tomorrow night, 7 to 9, doesn't matter how much you know, as long as you know that there's still more to know. Don't come if you know it all, unless you're going to teach. But if you, if you want to come and, and help, and be a help, it's not just the pastor, it's, it's, it's an open venue format, so if you want to be there and you want to learn some stuff and help me and teach me and learn the word with me, I'd love to have you, 7 to 9, and I try to keep that time pretty accurate, so you know, it's not like show up at 710 and think I'm waiting on you, 7 o'clock, we're gone, so, but you can come late, you get to jump right in. We're starting at 7. Revelations chapter 19. I'd like to read verses 11 through 16. This is the English Standard Version. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, this sound like a weak God? Does this sound like a God that, that's interested in bending his will for mankind's will? Does this sound like a God where 99% is acceptable? Oh, now you're thinking. Because we think 99% is pretty good. God's not interested in just settling with 99, right? He says he left the 99 right there and he went to get the one. Why? Because he's interested in 100. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury and the wrath of the God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I want to teach a little bit about how the King of Kings, about how the King is King of Kings and how he is Lord of Lords. Brother Larry, will you pray? Amen, and you may be seated. In order for a person or a king, we'll just settle right there, 
In order for a king to rule kings, that king must be pretty mighty, must be pretty supreme, must be pretty powerful, must have his act together, must be very wise. In order to be Lord of Lords, you've got to, you've got to draw men to you. You've got to have what it takes to protect not only your realm, but their realm. I want to teach you a little bit on the ten plagues of Egypt. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along because we're going to be in a lot of Scripture. But we're going to teach. And we're going to start in Exodus 7. And we're going to go through the ten plagues. And you're going to hopefully, I don't mess this up so bad, but allow God to have his way. that You'll understand why he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Exodus 7, verse 17. We're going to start right there. See some returning. I'll, I'll wait just a little bit longer. But you know the backstory here. All of Israel has um, been in slavery for about 400 years, and they are under the rule and thumb of Pharaoh. Joseph has died many centuries before, and now there is a new Pharaoh, and there is new Israelites in there, and God is blessing them. They're having babies left and right. They are, they are numerous. They live in the land of Goshen, and the land of Goshen is along the Nile and Euphrates River. And so they had the water coming from the, the banks there. The, the children of Israel really had it good other than being in bondage. And really, the Bible doesn't... doesn't really talk too much about how bad it was before the ten plagues came. It just says, God says, I've heard the cry of my people. And so they were needing to experience the Lord, and the Lord really was, was wanting to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham. And so it was the cycle of seasons, and God had showed up to deliver them from Egyptian oppression. And in Exodus 7, 17, you know, Moses and Aaron, they go before Pharaoh. And this is the beginning of the ten plagues that is going to occur within Egypt. Now here's the thing about Egypt. They're not monotheistic. Anybody remember what that is? Belief in one God, right? They're polytheistic, which is what? Many gods. The Egyptians had many gods. And there is a God that is attacked and put down in nine out of the ten plagues. I don't know if it's ever taught or rarely even spoken about. But why do you think God chose flies and gnats and frogs and blood? We've always, I think, just taken it for granted. God's just coming up with pretty ingenious plans to torment them. Well, his genius goes beyond just tormenting them. He is personally demolishing and destroying any belief, any power, any credence that was given to the Egyptian gods through these plagues. The Egyptian god, Happy, H-A-P-I, it was the god of the Nile River. Anakut was the goddess of the Nile. So you have a male and a female god. 
You have Happy and Anakut that they worship. That was the god of the Nile River. That the blessings that came from the Nile, the water, the infrastructure it helped them with, the survival, the resource, the blessings that such a source of water in the middle of a surrounding desert, what it was to them. So they attributed God and a goddess to the Nile River. And the first plague that happens in Leviticus attacks the water stream of the Nile. God's opening introductory to show them that I'm God. And we're going to read the scripture. Because the word of God says, I'm doing this so that you might know that I am God. What? He's putting down their God of the Nile so they understand that the God of the Hebrews, the God of Israel, is greater than the Egyptian gods. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Not just that waters turned into blood. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. And the fish of the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink. You mean he's going to cause the god and goddess of the Egyptians to stink? Absolutely. It's going to stink. The fish in it are going to die. Like their gods cannot protect the living, precious creatures that are in the Nile. That their god cannot stop death. Their god cannot stop the stench. I'm going to turn it into blood and it's going to stink. And the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. They're going to have to consume what a foreign god is doing to them. They're going to have to literally drink the blood that God had turned their water source into. They weren't drinking water that turned into wine here. Water turned into blood. And so they, yeah, maybe I should preach that. Write that down so I don't forget it. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, over the canals, and even their ponds. God wasn't messing around. That little koi pond they had in their, in their front yard? Yeah. There's going to be a lot of dead carp. And all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Listen to this. Even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone which means all those pots of stone and wood sitting in there, they're, they're, you know, they're gathering up water and they're, they're, they're storing it. Nope. It's not even touching the Nile. Yeah, but it's associated with it. So it's all getting turned to blood. If it's a water substance that you worship a God over, I'm going to show you who's God of the Nile. When, he's, when I say he's the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, this is how he's showing them. Listen, you serve the God happy. You serve the God Anakut. But I'm going to show you that I'll destroy all their power. I'll show you who's really God. Don't use that all up on the first plague, Brother Anthony. We've got nine more. All right. And the fish in the Nile died, 21, and the Nile stank. It did what he said. So the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. 
And Moses goes back to Pharaoh, and you, you know how this is going to go. Exodus 8, 3. And the Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into your houses and your servants and your people and into your own ovens and into your kneading bowls. Imagine opening the oven in and just hundreds of far, frogs fall out. Imagine opening your cupboards and they fall on your hair. Imagine laying in bed and you feel something on the cover and it's just bullfrogs. Gross. Frogs come up on you and your people and all your servants. See, in Egypt, there's this, this deity that they called Heket. Heket. And this is the goddess of fertility. Heket also identified with Hathor. And Hathor was represented in the form of a frog. So their goddess that they sometimes referred to as Hathor was actually chiseled in stone and written and carved in their cuneiform as a frog. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the god of fertility and I'm going to put frogs in your bed. I'm going to have them in your ovens. Everywhere you produce something, it's going to be a frog, a slimy, gross. You're going to get warts from these things. Come on, wait till that. That's a toad, right? said, I'm going to put frogs in there. So your God of fertility and your God that's represented a frog won't be able to stop this. If your God is a frog and your God can control frogs, couldn't it stop this? Couldn't it cause them to leave? But God, heck it, could not do it. And so the frogs came, and you know how it goes. Moses goes before Pharaoh in verse 10, and Pharaoh says, I, I, I want them gone tomorrow. And, and Moses says, be it as you say, so that you may know there is no one like our God. Moses kept telling him every time, this is going to happen, so you understand that our God is greater than Hecate. Our God is greater, greater than Happy. Our God is greater than Anakin. Our God has more power than all your Egyptian deities. All these mini demigods that you serve are powerless when our God comes into town. Now you know, you know, and we're not going to get into the details a little bit, but the magicians in the Egyptian empire were able to recreate a couple of the first plagues. And God said, I'm just getting warmed up. You might cause a little bit of that water over there to turn into blood by sorcery and your dark magic, but you don't got the power to stop it. You don't got the power to reverse it. You don't got the power to end it. You don't got the power to take it away. Oh, you serve a god of frogs, and you can call up a frog out of that pond in your living room, but you cannot stop the frogs from going in your bed and in your ovens and in your cupboards and in your cars and in your, your lunchbox. Everywhere you look, there's going to be a frog. It goes on, verse 16 of chapter 8 next plague comes around. 
Now this God here, this God here, they called him Geb, G-E-B, Jeb, Geb, Jeb, however you want to pronounce it. Now Jeb, that was the God of Earth, the God of Earth, the God of the dust. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. They did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff, and he struck the dust from the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast, and all the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. And all the magicians that once were trying to reproduce this to show that their God had the same power, all of a sudden it came to this, and they said, we're tapped out. We, we can't do this. And Pharaoh's looking at his magicians, and in verse 19, the magicians say to Pharaoh, then the magician said to Pharaoh, this, this is the finger of God. This is the finger of God. Which God? This is the finger of Jeb? Or the finger of Yahweh? Which finger is this, magicians? Because you worship Jeb. The, the God of the earth, just like you worship the goddess of the Nile etiquette, and you, you worship Happy, the God of the Nile, and, and you put so much faith in their power, in their control. But now all of a sudden, have you found a new God? Have you found a Lord that rules your lords? Have you found a king that's over your king? These plagues was the Lord putting on display for the entire world because Egypt ruled the world. Why did Egypt rule the world? You know your Bible history. Why? Because God raised up Joseph. And Joseph in the famine brought the whole world down into peril. And they poured all their gold, all their silver, all their gems to buy grain that they might live. And then that wise man, Joseph, he swindled all of the land from the Egyptians and had them give it to Pharaoh. From Joseph is why Egypt was the powerhouse of the world. And the whole world was watching Egypt. And all of a sudden, here, and listen, not just the Egyptians that served all these gods, but the world knew of the gods of Egypt. And if the world doesn't have what Egypt has, what do you think the world's thinking? They're doing something right over there. They got their act together down there in Ramses. They've, they've got, look at those pyramids. Look, look, at, look at all the architecture. Look at the canals that they've built. Look at how they have the water. The God of the Nile blesses them. They have money. They have wealth. They have the resources. This is what the nations of the world thought about Egypt. And God said, I'm going to show Egypt who's the Lord of Lords. I'm going to show this world who's King of Kings. Every one of your gods, every one of your goddesses, every deity that you look for, I'm going to show you how very little power they actually have. So he goes and he puts gnats everywhere and the magicians say, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he wouldn't listen to them as the Lord had said. And then the Lord, you know, Pharaoh's in trouble. You know, if Pharaoh would have been in control of his own heart, he'd have let him go right from the get-go. 
But God said, ah, nah, you little fox, you ain't getting out of this. Pharaoh, what did he do in Exodus 1? Anybody know? He killed all the firstborn males of the Jewish homes before any of these plagues showed up. He went and he attacked the children of God because he got afraid that there was a usurper coming. And he got fearful that they were growing in number and they would conquer him. And so he wanted to commit a little thinning of the herd, if you will. And he went and committed mass genocide among the children of Israel. And God watched that because he touched the children of God. He touched the anointed of God. He touched the promise of God. And God was seeing all of this because sometimes when people wonder, well, why is God so mean? He's hardening Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart was already wicked and evil. And he already murdered the children of Israel. And what was coming down on him was Pharaoh was going to understand that you're not a Lord and you're not a king and you're not a God. So the Lord took that man and he said, I'm going to harden your heart and you're not getting out of this. You're going to go through it every plague at a time. And you're going to understand. And so the Egyptian God, Kepri, K-H-E-P-R-I, Kepri, this is the God that they would imitate in the form of a scarab beetle. In Egyptian mythology, the flies were believed to give protection against diseases and disasters. And they made fly amulets and magic wands that were etched with flies were very common in the Egyptian society. They believed in this stuff. So Moses goes before them, and he rose up early in the morning, and he presented himself to Pharaoh, and this is in verse 20, if you're following along. As he goes out to the water, say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me, or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you, and your servants, and your people, and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies. Also, the ground on which they stand. But God is, God is, is as these plagues are rolling out, God is increasing their example and the impact they're having more and more and more. He says, the houses of the Egyptians will be filled with these swarms and on the ground. But on that day, I'm going to set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies will be there. Why, Pharaoh? That you might know that the Lord is in the midst of the earth. You're going to know that you're not God because the Egyptians looked at Pharaoh as a deity. That he owned their land, he owned their cattle, he owned their lives. Even though they weren't Jewish slaves, they were Egyptian slaves to him. They looked at him as a Pharaoh. That he was the strongest man on earth, had the biggest power, the most nuclear arm program. He was everything to them. And God was speaking right to that man because the world looked at that man. And he's saying, I'm going to show you who's God. Because not a fly is going to touch my people. You're going to know that what your gods could not do for you and stop you from being touched by flies and stop you from being touched by frogs and stop you from being touched by gnats, I'll show you how a God can protect his people. 
Thus I'll put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will happen. And the Lord did so. And there came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his own servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined because of the swarm of flies. Pharaoh goes back to his place and he sits in misery and here comes Moses again. 9-1. And the Lord said to Moses, go unto Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews. The God of who? Yeah. Not the God of the Egyptians. He's, he's, he's messing with their gods right now. Thus says the Lord. Like Pharaoh didn't know he was the God of the Hebrews. God just felt to throw a little salt. Lord's really salty right now. And he's making sure everybody feels his wrath. He says, you go tell Pharaoh, thus says Lord, you know, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, and you know he's going to, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a heavy, severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, and the horses and the donkeys and the camels and the herds and the flocks. But the Lord, you know, of the Hebrews, is going to make a distinction again between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing, and the livestock of the Egyptians all died. But not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. My question to Pharaoh is that his god Apis, who was a bull that was worshipped as a god, A-P-I-S, that this Egyptian god Apis, who was a bull, couldn't protect his own kind, couldn't stop the disease from hitting all the cattle and all the herds, couldn't protect the livestock of the Egyptians. But the god of Hebrews, not only... Brother Greg, did he say he was going to do it? He called his shot when? He said, not only am I going to do this, it's going to be tomorrow. I'm going to do it. And he did it. Verse 8, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust all over the land and become boils breaking in and sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. I'm going to pause right here. You notice the magicians are done trying to match him? That ended a while ago. And then God said, okay, now that you're done trying to be a copycat and you realize that's not going to be a thing, I'm going to show you that not only can I do this to you, but I can control who I do it to, and my people will not even be affected. Then he said, not only am I going to show you that I can touch just a certain group of people, I'm going to show you that I can touch a certain group of people when and where I want. When I say I'll do it, it'll be done. And I tell you that high noon tomorrow, this is going to happen to you. Every ounce of control, 
every ounce of doubt or, or reasons why God would miss a beat or why God would mess it up or why it was just lucky or just circumstance by the Jews was being stripped away from people's mouths. He says, as I am the one, our scripture was Lord of Lord and King of Kings. There's only one God in heaven. There's only one king and there's only one Lord and he sits on the throne. And on his name, or his name on his thigh, it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. Can you imagine that? No, I'm still stuck on the fact that he's riding a white horse in the middle of the sky. It's flames. We serve an incredible God. Let me ask you something that's not in my notes, but it's coming to me. All of this, right, was for the nation of Israel he was going to deliver. All of this was for them. And yet God takes them through a process so that he can show them and Egypt and the whole world who's boss. Part of the reason, even though the deliverance was for Israel, is because the journey that waited for Israel in the future, they needed to know who's boss. They needed to know who could turn water into blood. They needed to know who could raise the locusts up. They needed to know all these things. Because they were going to need a God that was King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So sometimes the things we go through, and God allows enemies and little deities to speak into our lives and to speak into our mind. And God allows us to go through things so that the power of God can trump the demons that are trying to act as though they're God. They trumps the situations that tend to say they got more power than God. But the reason we go through it is so with our very own eyes and with our very own ears and with our own heart, we know that He's King of kings and Lord of lords. You will never know God is a healer if you've never been sick. You'll, you'll hear stories from people, but you won't know it. My God's a deliverer, really. Well, in order for him to be a deliverer, you had to be in a place to be delivered from. And being in a place to be delivered from is not fun. You ever been drowning and been like, whoa, this is fun? Was it fun, Brian? I'm not your deliverer. I'm just the one he used. So 9-8. Now this God is called Isis, one of the more popular gods. You've probably heard of Isis. If not, I don't know. You've been living under a rock. Isis, God of magic and healer of the sick. John, have you heard of Isis? Yeah. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kin and let them throw it. So he throws it in the air, right? And when it's in the air, verse 10, so they took the soot from the kin and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air. And when it's in the air, boils began to break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians that are standing right there in Pharaoh's court when he does this, they break out with them. 
Everybody does. And the magicians in verse 11 could not stand before Moses because of the boils. And the boils came upon the magicians and all the Egyptians, or on the magicians and all the Egyptians. That rhymes. Messed with me a little bit. But now you've got these magicians who are still standing there in their, their priestly garbs and their, 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 their Hogwarts robes, and they're thinking they're all this. But they can't, they can't replicate any of these last six plagues. They can't do it. They're exposed as frauds and fakes, but they're standing there in their dignity. And God's like, I'm going to bring you to your knees. And in the presence of Aaron and Moses, the magicians who stood there with nothing left really but their pride, God brought them down to the ground. That even the powers that were representing fake gods couldn't even stand before God. When he said that every knee will bow and every tongue's going to confess... I'm telling you, he was dropping men to his knees in the times of Pharaoh. What makes us think he's not going to do it at the end of ages? Dropped them to their knees. They couldn't stand. You see, now he's stepping it up with every plague. Not only are you a fake, not only are you a fraud, not only are you persecuting my people, but you stand there with arrogance, you stand there with pride. I'm going to humble you even down to the ground. That ground that just produced gnats, you're going to lick. Get down. It's attacking all of their beliefs. Hail. My wife was laughing. Egyptian god called Nut. N-U-T. That's the sky goddess. And then Seth is the evil god of thunder and the storms. So you've got Nut and Seth. One is a goddess of the sky, and the other is a goddess of, of the thunders, the storms, you know, the clouds. From this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself. This is what's happening in verse 14. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and your servants, and your people. Why? So that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. You're going to know I'm king of kings and lord of lords. It's a repeating theme. Why? Because they thought that Nut and Seth were gods of the sky and gods of the storm. That's who they thought ruled the skies. That's who they thought ruled the, the wind and the hail. Not Jehovah. Not Yahweh. Not Adonai. Not Elohim. They thought it was Nut and Seth. For at this time, I'm going to send all my plagues on you. Verse 15. For by now. Man, God is salty. For by now. I could have put my hand out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up. Listen to this. I mean, I don't know how much you read your Bible, but this stuff is fascinating to me. This is God, the true God, talking to the fake God, Pharaoh, right? 
about his fake gods, Seth and Nut. And he says, listen, really, the truth of the matter is this. I could have killed you a long time ago. This is what he's saying to him. He's saying, but I didn't because I had a purpose in mind. See, I raised you up. What? God, I raised you up. Not Seth, not Nut, not Anakut, not Isis. I raised you up. Why? He's going to tell him. I have raised you up. Why? To show you my power. So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Meaning, if the most powerful man on earth, Pharaoh, utters that I am God, that I am Lord of Lords and King of Kings, then the world will see the most powerful man bow to me, be destroyed by me, be settled by me, be humbled by me, be obliterated by me, then this world's going to know that there's not an Egyptian God that exists, that I've been God all along, I've ruled all nations, I created the heavens and the earth, I'm the one that's done this. You see, if God's going to show his power, he's got to have an audience. about a tangent about serving God in your house. Put that one on the list too, Brother Greg. Look, if you got to go, it's all right. We're only on seven, and, and I'm going to preach through this, so you're not going to hurt my feelings. So, verse 14, we already read it. Verse 15, he says, Hey, I could have killed you by now, and you'd have been cut off, but for this purpose in 16, I wanted to show my power, so that my name's going to be known throughout this earth. Verse 23, then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, thunder and hail, and fire ran down to earth. Man, there, this, wasn't, this wasn't in the opening line. Whenever you study this, it just says the plague of hail. It should be like fire too. And thunder? It says that the Lord rained hail upon all the land of Egypt. Verse 24, there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Why? Because Nut was the goddess of the sky. But not only did he want to put Nut down, he wanted to put Seth down. He said, I'm going to hit all of these. You're not going to have a single name escape my power. If you tell me that, 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 that Kenny is, is the ruler of a pew, then I'm going to overturn the pew. Whatever. Yeah. You might want to scoot this away, Sister Nancy. Whenever the Egyptians raised their voice and said, this is a God and this is what they control, God said, I'm going to add them in the plagues. And I'm going to show you why they're not a God. And he goes through in verse 25, And the hail struck down everything that was in the field and in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. And Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hand to the Lord and thunder will cease. 
Oh, he is the God of thunder, not Seth. And there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's, not Seth's, not nuts, but Jesus's. The eighth plague, locust, 10.1. Then the Lord said to Moses, now let, let me explain. There's the Egyptian god Ammon. That's the god of wind. And then they have Osiris, who's the god of the underworld and afterlife. And through that, they connect it to all the vegetables because they believe the, the uh, Osiris was killed and the, the blood, you know, he was chopped up, thrown into the Nile and the blood of Osiris the blood got into the Nile, and then the Nile feeds the plants, and so the blood of Osiris, who is the god of underworld death, also helps the crops. That's how they're connecting all this. And God's like, okay, well, I'm going to show you that Ammon and Osiris are nothing. And he says, then the Lord says to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I might show these signs of mine among them. I'm going to show these signs of mine. Not of Osiris. Not of Ammon. But they're mine. And I'm going to show them. And this is where he begins to change. I told you, he ramps it up. He t he's talking to Moses now. That you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am Lord not only are the Egyptians gonna know but the little grandbabies of Israel are gonna know everybody is going to know that I can take down the greatest nation that rules this earth Or, for if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow, there he is with time again, I'll bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on this earth to this day. And then he turned and he went out from Pharaoh. You know, you guys play, the young people, you play video games, and you're going to hear some of these names in the video games of gods that you take down or you play for or you fight for or whatever. It all comes from this. all stems from this. But you better know that people actually worshipped these things. People worshipped Isis. People worshipped Ra, and we're getting ready to hit that in a minute. People worshipped, you know, Ammon. They worshipped these deities. And God took them and put them under his foot and stomped them out. Verse 10, or verse 21, chapter 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Now Ra is one of the more famous gods of the Egyptians. He's the god of sun. And Konsu is the god of the moon. And, and, and Nut, you guys remember him? Or her? 
goddess of the sky and stars. Nuts kind of involved in this one too. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. And they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from their place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go! Serve who? The Lord. Yeah, the Lord of Lords. You weren't calling Him Lord before. You weren't calling Him God before. Now all of a sudden He's Lord. And you're telling the man that you can't stand and the people you think need to serve your gods, all of a sudden you're telling them to serve their own. You've been trying to press them into serving your gods and serving your obsessions and serving your desires for 400 years. And now all of a sudden, what's happened? He's learning who's king of kings and lord of lords. Go serve your lord. Your little ones also may go. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. You see, Ra in the Egyptian lifestyle was one of their greatest gods, the god of sun. And when you took the greatest, one of the greatest influences, and God said, you, you think Ra is mighty? You think Ra is wonderful? I'm going to show you where he's at. Where's he at now? You can't even see. You're blind in utter darkness. Where is Ra? How come he's not sending a light into your darkness? How come he's not sending a light into your living room? How come he's not sending a light into the throne room? How come Ra is not the light of the world? Because Ra is not God. All of a sudden, Pharaoh is he's shaken at the core, but he's still under the influence of the Holy Ghost. You see, God was dealing with him and kept hardening him. You know, there's, there's, there's no worse place than be than to be a sinner and being messed with by the Holy Ghost. There's some truthful people out there, the rest of you. You just wait. Moses said, you must let us have sacrifices for burnt offerings that we sacrifice. Verse 26, our livestock must also go. You know, and Pharaoh's like, no, you can go, but you got to leave the cattle. And he, Moses is like, no, I didn't come this far to settle with you. I'm not settling. This isn't a negotiation. We go, our livestock goes. Moses says, our livestock also must go. Not a hoof shall be left behind. You want to talk about a negotiator, Brother Greg. I wouldn't want to be in the, at the table with Moses. He's like, did you not see what just happened to you nine times? And you think you're in a position where you still got any chips left at this game, buddy? I'm telling you right now that you're walking out the door broke. And I'm taking everything you got. There's not going to be a single hoof of a cattle left in this place when I'm done with you. For we must take them 
to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the God until we arrive there. So I'm taking everything, buddy. He does. And then that leads us to the tenth plague. We have wiped out several of the Egyptian deities. God has literally made a mockery and an embarrassment of their names and their titles and their supposed powers. The tenth plague, there is no God of the Egyptians that can do what this is going to happen. I guess in some way, probably every single one of their gods has a little bit of familiarity with this. But this one, the tenth plague, this is a favor being returned. I asked you what happened in Exodus 1. Pharaoh killed all the firstborn males. And what do you think's getting ready to happen in the tenth plague? This is a volley back to him. Like, I'm going to show you who can kill. I'm going to show you the pain that you put on my people. You see, you, they, they were able to sneak a few of them away and hide them put them in, in baskets and send them down the river to escape you, buddy. Uh, they had midwives that were covering for them. But I'm going to show you that there's no midwife that's going to cover you. There's no basket that's going to hide your little one. There's no safe house that's going to stop my angel. There is nothing that's going to protect you from the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the King of kings. This last plague wasn't to put a single deity of Egypt down. It was to smash them all and to put judgment on the face of Egypt. Moses says, thus says God, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and the firstborn of the cattle. Young people, I'm not trying to scare you, but don't ever think we serve a God that doesn't know how to kill. Fear the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. The Lord ain't playing around. And he goes on, and he says in verse 6, And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. The reason it's nor ever will be again is because Egypt will never be a power again. The Lord is destroying this power, obliterating it. And it is, it is obliterated even today. We didn't have time to cover every verse, but there was verses in it where those, those magicians that, that dropped to the knees began to tell Pharaoh, can't you see we're already done? They said that to him. Can't you see we're already destroyed? Let them go. But Pharaoh would not because he had the Holy Ghost all around him saying, nope, you're not going to do this. I'm wrapping up. The musicians would come. 
Verse 6, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. This verse is really, I like this verse. Not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel. Don't you wish I said male man, Brother Eric? I mean, think about that, right? You probably ran into that once or twice in your career. And God told the Egyptians, he said, your dogs aren't even going to open their mouth when my people leave this land. Your dogs are going to put the tail between their legs and going to whimper away and hide their face. Not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt. Twenty-nine, and the firstborn of Pharaoh sat on the throne of the firstborn of the captives who was in the dungeons and even the firstborn of the livestock. Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all the servants of the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, and there was not a house where someone was not dead. And he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Go up, out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go, serve the Lord as you've said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone. But bless me also. Verse 36. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked for. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. They took them for everything. Everything. Because their God, who was King of Kings and Lord of Lords, made a way. I've taken a lot of time to teach about the gods of Egypt show you that our God trumps them all. And you know I refer to them as gods of Egypt, but you know that's a little G. And you know they're not gods at all. In fact, they didn't even exist. They might have been demonic spirits that said they were a god, but hey, they're liars and father of them. The point I'm trying to make is that there's many times we live in a form of Egypt in our lives at time to time. Sometimes it does feel like we're in bondage. And sometimes it does feel that when the preacher comes into town and preaches a message of deliverance, things seem to always get worse. It's not by coincidence that when you hear a good message and you experience good music and you experience a wonderful altar call, that you go home and it seems like disaster is waiting at the door and you say, where is the God that just sent Moses? But I'm sent tonight to teach and to tell somebody that the 
Little gods that are whispering in the middle of night are not gods at all. It's fears. It's lies. It's deceptions. the ones that watch the true God, the true King, the true Lord, the true Redeemer, the true Deliverer, the true Counselor. We're the ones that have a front row seat to God Almighty. Do you not believe that God can set a distinction between you and the world? not think that God can put a hedge about you and as the storms roll around you you sit in the eye of the hurricane untouched I've been through storms in my life where it seemed like chaos was on every side of me I want to read part of this psalm and then I'm going to do altar call this fits the message Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, or even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me, night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Or Life Tabernacle, it's my pleasure to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords with you. I count it an honor to go through the plagues of this life with you. Because then I see the bad things. I know that right behind those bad things is the hand of God saying, I'm going to show you what a deliverer really is. I'm 
going to show you what a healer really is. I'm going to show you what it's like to be free. I'm going to show you what it's like to have peace. We go through things for sure. We face giants uncertainly. But every time we go through a storm together and every time we're on the battlefield together, I always seem to have the same ending. We always seem to be in the altar rejoicing the victory. We always seem to be in the prayer room saying, God did it. We always seem to be reading the victory report. Won't he do it? I'm opening this altar if you'd come, and I want us to come before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want us to present ourselves before Him and say, God, You're the God of my storm. You're the Lord of Egypt. You're the God of Pharaoh. You're the God of everything that's come against me. You are God of my life. You're God of the situation. Come on, don't be so programmed. I gotta ask you to stand. The altar's open. God, I love you. I know that there is no other God beside you. I know that there is no other God up there in heaven. I know that you're the one true living God. I know your name. It's Jesus. I know your healing touch. I've been healed. I know you're redeemed. I felt the forgiveness of my sins. I can't control what tomorrow You feel your life is in a place where you think there's a plague, you think there's a disaster. You need to know something. Cancer is not a God. Depression is not a God. It does not have power. It does not have control. It will yield to the voice of God. It will yield to the will of God. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. I speak to cancer. I speak to depression. I speak to fear. I speak to anxiety. I speak to hopelessness. The name of Jesus. I speak to that cancer. The healer's name, Jesus. I speak to depression. The stabilizing God, Jesus. I speak to fear. The strongest, most powerful, King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus. Come on, begin to speak to your situation, Jesus' name. Whatever you're going through, speak Jesus to it. Introduce your problems to the Lord of lords and the King of kings.